All right, let's pray together as we open up the word, okay? Lord, come now and guide us. Um, Bring your truth to us in a way that helps us, strengthens us, helps us love you more and follow you more faithfully, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, coming off of Valentine's Day season, I think everyone has wrestled at some point with some situation where you tried to sort out how do you show someone how much you love them. Some of you considered special gifts, perhaps things like this, um, the Valentine's Day Lexus. I know for many of you that was probably what happened. Um, Perhaps a little more reasonably, maybe you went to a a special outing, your favorite restaurant, or, um, you know, European vacation, uh, cruise of the Caribbean, something small uh, like that. But let me up the ante a little bit, even from that, in terms of how you might wrestle with how you show love for someone. How would you say I love you if it was for the last time? What then? What kind of gift would you give? What shape would your love take? And this morning, we step into that very moment in the life of Jesus in John chapter 13. It says, before the feast of the Passover, When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It says just before the Passover feast. This is is more than some random time marker. Um, This is more than just tagging a holiday from work on your calendar. See, this is... Hundreds of years of marking this Passover as a celebration of God's deliverance from slavery and protection, deliverance from his own severe judgment through the blood of a lamb that was spread on the doorpost of his people's homes there in Egypt so long ago. And each Passover since that time not only looked back, but it looked forward and longed for the coming of the Messiah who would not just deliver them from slavery to tyrants, but from slavery to sin itself. And so now it is time in John 13 for that Passover. The one that they had longed for for over centuries. And at this Passover, Jesus would become our Passover lamb. By his life's blood, our deliverance from sin's bondage would come at last. As John the Baptist said, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this story unfolds on a night we call Maundy Thursday. It's just hours before the agony of a brutal death on the cross that first Good Friday morning. Having loved his own who were in the world, says he loved them to the end. Another way to render that last phrase goes like this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And those two ideas of steadfastness and extent of love are deeply entangled here. Jesus showed his friends how much he loved them. By loving them to the end. 
So don't miss this this morning. If you belong to Jesus, you are steadfastly loved by him. And um, Jesus' determination to reveal his love fully finds its fulfillment most fully at the cross. But first, in John 13, Jesus reveals his love in a different act, a precursor of kind, a preview. It's like a trailer of the cross. In verse two, it says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. And he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So with love for his friends, and trust in his Father mingled together, Jesus removes his outer garment and wraps a towel around him and takes a basin and a pitcher and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. So how's this making you feel? A little bit awkward? You know, Jesus was disrobed three times on that night. At the foot washing. At his mockery by the soldiers. And at the cross. And every time it represented the humiliation that he bore for us in love. And it wasn't just what he took off that night it was what he took on. Jesus was taking on the attire and place of a servant, a slave. Jesus was dressing like their slave. And you add to that this act of washing their feet it was, a, it was the thing that was done by servants and typically only the lowest class of servants. And in the rare interest where it was not, perf- where instance where it wasn't performed by a servant, it was considered a, an act of great devotion. And scholars tell us that there is not one act in all of recorded history of a superior washing the feet of a subordinate, except for this one. How would it make you feel if he had approached you to wash your feet? Well, just as as he would be thrown off, we would be thrown off balance by this, so was Peter. Um, In verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. So Peter resists. He knows this is not right, okay? The teacher does not wash the student's feet. 
And so Peter could not comprehend it and proud to be humble Peter would not allow it. Jesus practically has to arm wrestle Peter here to get him to permit this. And it's a struggle to think of a cultural equivalent in our day. Um, something akin to foot washing in terms of its lowliness. Um, some of you are students at Southeastern, right? See, see the hands of Sebit students that are here? Yeah, we have, we have some Sebit students. Um, imagine Dr. Aiken comes over to your house for dinner. And as you invite him in, the first thing he does is he pulls out rubber gloves and he heads into your bathroom and begins to clean your commode. There's something not right about that. Or maybe, maybe think of changing out a bedpan. It's not something you would ask of a guest and definitely not a guest of honor. It's not something you would even do yourself if you could pay a caregiver to do it. This really seems a strange choice for Jesus' last great lesson, his last great statement of love from a power and position as one sent from God to disrobe and take on the role of a servant and wash his disciples' feet. In verse 8, Jesus answers Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. So Jesus now uses the foot washing first as an expression of his love, and now as a symbol of his humble sacrificial love on the cross, the great act of cleansing there. It's a symbol of the cleansing that comes to someone's soul when they follow Jesus. And Jesus justifies his followers and cleanses them wholly, like when you take a bath, and he sanctifies them and cleanses them daily, like when they wash their feet. But there's one, it says, in their midst who lacks this justifying cleansing, and twice now he's been brought to our attention, and that is Judas, the betrayer. He's there. So I don't want you to miss this this morning. There is a sense in which we all need to be cleansed spiritually from the things of our past that we're ashamed of or that we should be. Things we wish we could be clean from. And Jesus' talk here of, of taking a bath or of the washing of feet, it symbolized the cleansing that only Jesus can bring to a soul through his death on the cross, to cleanse us from our sins. The book of Hebrews writes about it beautifully. It says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? I like the way that Hawaiian pigeon version puts it. And Peter went asked Jesus, hey boss, what you doing? You gonna wash my feet? Peter tell him, no way you ever gonna wash my feet. Then Jesus tell him, if I don't wash you, then you know can be my guy. 
If you want to belong to Jesus, if you want to be his guy, then you must be cleansed by him from all your sin. You cannot acceptably clean yourself up. But by faith in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, you can be clean, you can be set free from your sins. And that can happen today. And at the close of the service, we'll be partaking of what's known as the Lord's Supper. And you'll have a chance during that time to transfer your trust from being good enough and clean enough on your own to being cleansed by Jesus and his work on the cross. Verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? So now the object lesson is over. And the question for his disciples, both back then and now, is this. Do you get it? Do you get it? Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Though Jesus is highly exalted, he is both Lord in the fullest sense and teacher in the greatest sense. He has just become their servant in the lowest sense because of his love for them, because of his trust in his Father's good plan. And so now that symbol has become an example and he says we must follow him to be like him, to love like him, to show it like him in humble service, just like him. To follow Christ is to humbly serve. You get it? To follow Christ is to humbly serve. Let me underscore three things for us this morning that I see in Jesus' example of servanthood that we are to follow. First of all, We must follow him in love. Our service must be an expression of love. It's not a cranky, grumbly, door-slamming, foot-stomping, eye-rolling act of compliance. It's an expression of love. It's a voluntary act. This is why, in part, Peter says we must not serve under compulsion. We are to follow Jesus in serving love. So, so those of you who are married, you volunteer to do the chores that your spouse hates. You volunteer to do the chores that your spouse needs with gladness. Or perhaps your service needs to take the form of something other than a chore. It may be that your humble service involves giving the gift of forgiveness or an apology or a good conversation or real companionship or just giving all of you undivided, attentive, listening, willing, present. This service is to be an expression of love done willingly. And if you're bad at serving, you're likely bad at loving And you are likely bad at loving because you have not drunk deeply enough of what it means to be loved by God. 1 John 4 says, so we know 
and rely on the love God has for us. So you should be reading about and thinking about and studying about and talking about and meditating on and reflecting on what it means that you are the beloved of God. You. Because serving flows from loving and loving flows from being loved. John says it this way, we love because he first loved us. Draw near to the God who loves you. Marvel at, cherish, delight in his first love for you. Jesus will say in just a chapter or two, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So we must get better at lovingly serving one another. It is how we love Jesus back. And it has been my my personal observation that serving protects love too, especially in the church. I watch and it's the people who disengage who struggle most to love the church. They become critics rather than servants. And honestly, this has been my great protection now for almost 30 years. I may very well see more of the church's blemishes than most people do, but I'm continually put in the place of service. I don't do study serve, I do serve serve. Okay, that's that's my rotation. And it is good for me. It protects my love for the church. I'm too busy serving to be a critic. And I've mentioned before that our staff hates the Sundays that I'm here and I don't serve. Uh, because I roam the grounds looking for problems, right? I, I find paint peeling and weeds growing and signs pointing the wrong way and doors left open during the worship service. What in the world? So, um, serving the church in love will protect you from becoming a church critic. Look, w- there's lots to criticize here. Lots. But serving the church protects your love for the church. We must serve in love here amongst the church, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. We must grow in this. We must always be growing in this. Are you serving more gladly now than you were two or three years ago? See, the service Jesus models for us here is an expression of his love. We must follow him in love. It's what it means to be a Christ follower. Secondly, we must follow him in humility. To serve like Jesus is a loving thing and it's a humbling thing. It will be beneath you. It will humble you. And it will be inconvenient. Plan on it. Some of you have PhDs and you find yourself sitting cross-legged on the floor reading pop-up books to Cheerio-encrusted toddlers. And you are thinking, I got a PhD for this? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Some of you are business leaders in our community. You're pretty important. And and you come to the church and they want you to strap on that silly orange vest and stand out in the middle of the street where all the crazies are and risk your life to help people cross the street. And you're thinking, at work, I hire people to do this so I don't have to. But Jesus says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. It will be beneath you. It will humble you. It will be asked of you when you are most tired and very busy. Plan on it. When was the last time you saw something that needed to be done amidst our church? Maybe, maybe one of those pleas for help in the children's ministry, which is about to happen again, right? We're on the verge. And you just thought somebody else will sign up for that. That's not my job. I have more important things to do. And Jesus says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So has anybody had their feet washed by you where you work lately? Do the chores you hate and the ones your roommate refuses to do, even when you are tired. I mean, how emotionally exhausted do you think Jesus was the night before he went to the cross? Serve someone, anyone, even if it's beneath you, even if they don't deserve it, which is the third thing that I would draw from Jesus' example this morning. We must follow him in giving grace, in giving undeserved favor. We must serve even the undeserving. Have you ever realized whose feet it was that Jesus washed? Peter, who would deny him three times that very night. The remainder of the 12 would desert him almost within the hour. And Judas, who's mentioned with great intent repeatedly in this section, the one who would betray him. Jesus, it would seem, was even willing to lovingly serve even Judas. All of these betrayals and denials and desertions would happen to Jesus within 12 hours by the very ones whose feet Jesus now lovingly washed. So who deserves to be served by King Jesus, right? Anyone in that room? Anyone in this room? We must follow Jesus in graciously serving even the undeserving. For Jesus has said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And sometimes we are tempted to excuse ourselves. We say things like, but they never served me back. Why should I serve them? I have served them eight times in a row without them serving me once. What, like you have a spreadsheet? You're keeping score? They said something I didn't like on Facebook. They made a face when my children ran screaming through the worship center. They think they are better than me. They don't deserve to be served. Jesus washed Judas' feet. I think that's pretty much the end of the discussion, wouldn't you say? And it's almost like Jesus anticipates our objections, right? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So if Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of all that is, will do this, will disrobe in front of his disciples and take on the garb of a servant performing the lowliest of tasks, 
Are there tasks we are too good for, too important for? Really? Way back in the fourth century, one, one pastor wrote, he who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped, himself, wrapped around himself a towel. He who forged water into rivers tips water into a basin. He before whom every knee bends in heaven and earth and under the earth kneels to wash the feet of his disciples. We are to follow the example of Jesus and serve the undeserving in the lowest place. There are no exceptions. For no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then Jesus says, and if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now that you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. The blessing of God comes upon your life if you understand what Jesus is saying and you do it. Loving, humble service brings the blessing of God upon your life. Jesus himself would say, I am among you as one who serves. And he asks of us the same thing. May it be said of us as well, I am among you as one who serves. Would you pray with me? Lord, be kind to us. Help us be like you. Forgive us our pride, our self-sufficiency. Our lovelessness, help us, Lord. May your love be upon us in ways that's transforming, even now, even as we remember you together. Jesus, we pray in your name, amen. So now we're gonna turn from one sign to another, from the basin and the towel to the table of our Lord. And this is how Jesus showed his love for his friends for the last time, in humble, exemplary, cleansing love. He pointed to it by two great sacred acts, the foot washing, the washing of feet, and then by the breaking of bread. And each one points to the great act of love, of exemplary, humble, cleansing love that was to take place the very next morning on the cross. And that's what we wanna turn our hearts to as we close our service. We want to remember together that on the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he broke it, he gave it to his friends and told them to remember him. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup, and he explained that it represented um, the new covenant of his blood, which was for the forgiveness of sins. And he asked them to do this also, to remember him. At North Wake, the Lord's table is open to everyone who is a follower of Christ and is currently walking in fellowship with him. Um, this table's for you. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, then you don't need the symbols of Christ. You need Christ. And I told you earlier, I'd give you a chance during this time simply to acknowledge to Jesus that you need cleansing, that you need his mercy, that you need forgiveness. If you are willing to believe and trust that his work on the cross brought that even for you and your trust is transferred from cleaning yourself up to his cleansing work on the cross. And I invite you, 
as, as we remember Christ together, that you would cling to Christ and choose Christ and believe Christ during this time. So if the ushers will come, we'll distribute the elements. I'd like to ask you to hold them and we'll, we'll take it.